Race matters. 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 Before we begin, as always, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the lands that we are meeting and gathering on today and the lands of the Gadigal people. The Gadigal people have been a part of this land and landscape for 60,000 to 80,000 years and time immemorial before us and they will be here after us as well. They are still here and a part of this beautiful land and no matter where you go, city or bush, it always was and always will be Aboriginal country and Aboriginal land. And so I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Gadigal peoples, their elders, both past, present and any future listeners that we have here listening in with us today. And I am joined in here for Race Matters today by Nayuka Gori. How are you going, Nayuka? Yeah, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Can we get um, your nations and qualifications? That's how I <laughs> like to kick off when we do our first nations mob. was like, nations, qualifications, talk yourself up. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so my mobs are Gunai, Gunajmara, Rajri and Yorta Yorta. Um, I'm a writer, um, yeah, like social commentary sort of stuff, um, and also a TV writer. Also, when I'm a student, I went back to uni this year to study creative writing, um, which is weird because it's probably a few years too late. But anyway, it's good to learn the craft. Yeah, I know you're already <laughs> you're already killing it in the field. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, studying's weird, but um, what else? Yeah, working on a book at the moment. Um, and yeah being mentored by Alison Whitaker through that which is like sick yeah um I feel really lucky yeah that's amazing yeah I'm also a lover friend daughter sibling (laughs) well thank you so so much for joining us on the race matters platform today and it really is a massive honor to have your voice contributing to our program and especially for me because I've been following your writing since like I was at university as well and it was a while ago I was at uni and your writing really kind of um, navigated and guided me through a lot of um, perplexed times, a lot of times that I wasn't sure of my place and how to voice my concerns and your writing really validated that for me and one of the pieces that really struck a chord with me was the 2016 piece that you wrote um and it really struck a chord with me because I was working um in a program at the time that was gaslighting the hell out of me and it was your piece white victims and black monsters why I have no time for Becky feminism and it really was the first time where I read something that spoke to a problem that a lot of black people face and that's white women weaponizing their tears Mm. So what led you to write an article around white feminism and was there any backlash to it? Um, So to answer your first question, I think what had happened was, um, you know, as with all of that sort of like youthy media, like junkie stuff, like something had happened. It's like there was a pop cultural moment. Lena Dunham had um, been Lena Dunham. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, she did something stupid and... But it also, it was something I thought about a lot um, and had noticed in my own life and particularly, particularly when I started writing, had a lot of white, well, people who I thought were friends who got really, um, were really upset with me about the stuff that I was writing and 
the position I was taking on stuff, which is weird because I've always had these politics, I guess, whatever. Um, But often it was white women, my like former friends who were white women who, yeah, like employing, like it's, for me, I think it's really manipulative behavior. Um, So I feel like it's a kind of manipulation to try and keep people in their place. Um, If that was happening in a relationship, you'd call that behavior emotionally abusive. So yeah, just looking around the world and particularly when it came to, I think that piece was also about the way that black men are positioned um, in the white imagination, particularly like, yeah, white women. Yeah. So it was, I mean, uh, that stuff still, obviously it's funny you, you write stuff, but you never, I never stopped thinking about that. Like even thinking about Castor, I don't know if you've been following that stuff with no, I saw you posted something about it today, but I haven't followed up on it yet. So, um, yeah, if you could give us a brief outline of what's occurred there. Yeah. So I'm not across all the details, so I don't want to like, I don't want to talk because I'm afraid I'm going to yeah, like, fair. I don't have all the details, but something that is interesting has been uh, like looking at old footage of white women who were racing against Castor and losing, um, there was one video in particular, there was this, I think she was a British white lady who came fifth or fourth or whatever. And in her interview after was crying at having lost and how unfair it was that Castor won. And, but there were two other black people who, who beat this white woman as well. So it was just, just interesting that, yeah, just the deployment of tears. Mm. It, yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. And it's, and it, because it's very visual you know yeah. and it's and it's very loud and it all like, it's like <laughs> stop crying so loudly <laughs> it is it's it's you know it's something that people engage with first before they engage with our voices yeah you know and so it automatically paints a picture that's never going to be in our favor and i've been in that position many times and it doesn't matter how much you try to explain yourself or remain calm even though everything inside you was burning up we have to ultimately you know censor our emotions oh absolutely and also like you mentioned workplaces before I think that was also another like I think I was thinking about that as well so at the time I was working in the not-for-profit um Mm, same space (laughs) and it is full of white women Mm. and fragile white women who like aren't won't take any accountability for what they do um, and instead make it your responsibility to deal with their guilt um, or whatever. So I think that was also playing. But I I do want to write, I think at one point I'd like to write about that the not-for-profit sector and the, like, insidious violence of white women in those spaces. Oh, that would be so good. <laughs> Can you please do that? It's so necessary. And it, no, it's toxic. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, gross. Anyway, yep. we could talk about that all day. You might want to hold my comb when you find out what I'm made of. You might want to follow me and copy all of my mistakes.
your writing also like massively resonates with so many black women, both binary, non-binary and trans. And particularly because you take so much of our rage and our passion and our lived experiences and you formulate it into a single sentence that can like really execute the argument and anyone that's opposing it. So how do you get to that place in your writing? Is there a process of your your own anger and lived experiences before you get it onto the page? Yeah, I feel... I feel like writing is like an outlet for the cold fury that I have all the time at the world. Um, I feel like I live in a constant state of fury, which probably I think a lot of people um, do. Um, So it is, I think anger is one of the most useful emotions when it's like employed properly or whatever. I think it's really important to be angry. Um, Yeah, so I... I guess I see what writing, oh my God, writing. I've been around too many white people. Um, I see writing as like a, like a kind of weaponry. Um, and I see it as like, I see it as it's like tools for people or weapons for people. Um, or it can also be like comfort or whatever it might be. Um, I think, yeah, definitely the cold fury and also I feel like sometimes like I'm like sarcastic or really snarky. I think that's important. I don't know. I don't know how I think definitely when I first started writing, I would write like it wasn't cold. It was hot. It was like very not sexy hot. It was just like a really hot rage. I just wanted like if I didn't do it, I would tear my hair out. Mm. Like I needed a place to be angry. And so I think a lot of my earlier writing was that. But now um like my writing has changed and it's it's gotten colder but it's still furious um it can I, I feel like if I'm not passionate I feel like anger is my motivator so if I'm not passionate about whatever it is and I, I I don't know if I can finish if I can actually finish the thing mm. but I think sometimes and like behind that anger I was gonna I was I was about to say like it would be nice to come from a place of love to do something because you love it but then I realized actually I think behind that anger is love like a love of like people and country and so actually like anger is love I don't know <laughs> it is I 110% agree with that statement that like a lot of our anger is coming from a place where we're, we're like, our anger isn't essentially about us. It's always about, you know, for our people, mm. you know? And if we don't say something, we have to put those voices out there for our people. And so that the younger mob as well mm. can listen to what's being said because there's so much horrible content out there and um, policies and actions on the streets and everything, the way that we live and how we're housed and, um, our health everything and how we're Mm. policed you know and just in the schools as well that if you know we're not being angry about it then we have it's a form of loving ourselves and loving our mob yeah you're right you're right it is it, it is it is that I think also I just I think so many I think particularly black women probably all women actually but not all women. Um, I think <laughs> especially for black women, there is no space for our anger. There is nowhere to put it. It, where, you know, if we, I just feel like we have to be so stitched up all the time and have to be like kind of not lose it because of where we exist in the white imagination. 
Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I don't know. Writing can be really logical, but it's also like quite a passionate thing as well. Yeah. And it's like you said before, it's a, it's a weapon um, for our own kind of outlet for when we do go through those experience, like in non-for-profit orgs. Mm. Like what got me through a lot of those times was my own writing too. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Or listening to other writers, you know, I think listening to um, other black writers and their own process is definitely very kind of calming mm. in your own experiences, which leads me to this part here about um, your piece, which I loved um, protests such as don't kill live music seem to represent white self-interest. <laughs> and that's because I wrote a, like the very similar thing just as a status on Facebook. So then when I saw that, you had written a whole article on it on The Guardian. I was just like, well, that's the best validation I could ever get. And if anyone wants to disagree with me, then I can, you could just read this and go and tell Nayuka. <laughs> but, um, Die mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the uh, sentences in it that really sent it home was white men want police to not charge them money for their festivals while, while we are asking to not be killed by them. So... How do you describe to people who are not of colour and are not affected by white colonial systems that their self-interests actually do exclude black people? I mean, well, I try to write about it, but I, I think that piece made a lot of people angry. Yeah. Um, I didn't really see a lot of that anger. Like, no one got in touch with me. Um, actually, some PhD student got in touch and was like, where did you get these this statistic from? And I was like, oh... Like, well, I did, so then I had to send him, like, the research that I read to write that. Anyway, it's funny how people like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think sometimes it feels like a lot of writing is, like, proof of your humanity. It's just, like, can you see that I am a human? I feel like sometimes a lot of writing can be like that. Um, And I feel like that piece is one of those, like, look at these other humans that you're not... Anyway, you know what was funny as well, now that I think about it? So I wrote that, and not long after, the New South Wales elections were happening. And I noticed that the organisation that I think I might have dragged in that piece put up preference the Sustainable Australia Party, right? I was like, isn't that interesting that they're, like, supportive of this white supremacist group and, like... I don't know. Yeah. Just find it very I interesting. Saw, I saw that. I saw that too. <laughs> yeah. It really was like a confirmation of what, like, exactly. our own. In- we, like, and I feel like as black people, most of our instincts are always right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Yes. Um, like, I, I have them happen all the time. And sometimes I'm like, am I crazy? And, like, am I, like, you know, overthinking it? Am I too involved in this? Am I being biased? And then something happens and I'm like, mm. you know what? I'm always right. <laughs> always black people are always right. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. But I don't know, like, if that result in any kind of behavioural change. I've been thinking, I don't know, it's a big philosophical question, like does writing change the world or whatever? I'm not <laughs> going to go into that today. But, um, yeah, like it's for those people, like they should be so lucky that they get someone to walk through why what they did was wrong. And, like, they also can do the work to be better. Mm-hmm. I'm not, yeah, like go go and do that work. Don't cry about it in your group chat. I know that happened. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's really infuriating when they come to us for answers as well you know like oh well then what, what can we do to make things better and i'm like okay well if you're going to show up to those rallies why don't you show up to our rallies and but also like 
this is the thing. I agree with their like we're punt- yeah, like yeah. I am on we're actually on the same side. But like you need to broaden the scope or like zoom out a bit because right now you're only interested like you're only protecting the interests of white people. Mm. Like that's a problem. Yeah. And that's not my problem. Like and that's not like your problem. It's their problem. Mm. Um like just do the work. It actually isn't hard. You just need to you need to be able to see that like if black people like where it's like aren't we people too? Like mm. they, anyway. Yeah. Yada yada. <laughs> I don't want to talk about them. <laughs> well, I'm glad but I'm I'm really glad cuz I was writing from Melbourne and what I am glad is that people and particularly like mob and people of color up here like agreed with that as well because I was like oh, I don't know if I'm stepping on toes here but this is what, just what it looks like from where I live um, and living in a place like Melbourne um, yeah so I'm glad it was yeah good no for people it, here. it did a lot of um, black people here very much felt the exact same way especially like because I um, work near where the protest was happening so I was walking past it all and there was very like there was no mob there you know especially because the protest happened right after invasion day rallies as well so it was just like it was the you can just feel the vibe and the um the reason for why people were showing up was just not the same and it just was yeah it, all of, like literally all it was felt all of what that it felt like was your article it was representing all self like all white self interests it's like i'm not saying as well that people can't care about many things like that wasn't what i was saying like i think like by all means have that rally but just like the scope of it is so white and narrow like that's what I had a problem with the inability to see how issues are related like if you're going to go after like cops or the state and not include black people in that like you're you're not looking at it properly and then put a noose on your protest signs as well like come on how I mean tone deaf and just dramatic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just so dramatic yeah. I was I was yeah like okay this is disgusting imagery mm. like get it together yeah do you have a self-care practice for dealing with these racist institutions and fake allies do you have like your own way of taking care of yourself um healthy self-care um, yeah, I I like to now that I'm back at uni as well. I like to not be online. I'm really thinking about like getting off Facebook and getting off like Instagram would be really hard and Twitter. I don't know. I think that's important. I think it's important to. I know that the internet is really important to a lot of people, and it is for me. But like, I think it's kind of forget how to live in the real world um yeah so I, I think that's a big part of it getting offline and like on any given day at, at any given time there is an injustice happening in this country there's cops like storming into a black house there are kids being taken from their families there's so much to be angry about um but you can't be useful if you're burnt out and if mm. you're whatever. So I try to, yeah, I try to try to 
I all I ever want to do is be useful. So it's, yeah, I, I try to log off and. I have a puppy, Ned. I love her so much. I go hiking a little bit um, and also have, like, really solid group of, like, family and friends. Um, and I spend as much time as I can around mob because mm. I actually think that's the most important thing that we can do. I think, yeah, I think particularly, like, writing... I don't know. I think to also to answer your question, I think it's also about not being distrustful, but trying to understand the motives of people who like, I feel like there's a lot of people who like to collect people. Um, have you, have you watched Harry Potter or read Harry Potter? Yeah. So, you know, the slug club. Yeah. So I feel like there are people who have their own little versions of slug clubs, Mm -hmm. like older white women often do that, like they're little coloreds or something. (laughs) So, yeah. Or they're knitting for Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think it's – so I try to not join anyone's slug club Mm. and um, just be cautious of people Um, and also like – Black women are just amazing. So yeah. talking, yeah, being around black women, um, yeah, it's really important. And I watched a lot of Grace and Frankie last year. I watched it, I think I watched it like five or six times in a row. It's like a five season, four season show. Is that the one with um, those two old white Jane ladies? Fonda? Yeah. 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 She's keeping it tight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> keeping it tight. She's keeping it tight. Um <laughs> Oh, she looks great. Good for her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I really like, yeah, watching television and, yeah, I've been reading a lot more this year as well. Um, the other thing as well is we can always say no. That's a big thing. I think that's a really great um, point to raise as well because, yeah, we're always – there's a – not a guilt but, you know – there's this constant feeling that everything that we do, we're not always inherently doing it for ourselves. It's, there's a bigger reason for why we mm. do things and sometimes it's not in our best interest. Yeah. Like, is it? Is it worth, yeah, is it worth the drama? Is it worth, you know, it's going to be, yeah, sure, you might get like 200 bucks, 500 bucks, grand, whatever it is, but like how much is it going to cost emotionally to do that thing? Um yeah and also I would also say like don't unless it's like you're really passionate about it or it's for like mob or whatever don't do stuff for free for white people Mm. is like another thing as well that's a big thing that a lot of um our young listeners should um be wary of too because it's starting to be a bigger conversation around it now Mm -hmm. or from what I can kind of see from my own circles is getting that word out there about knowing how much you should be paid Mm -hmm. and saying that you know like don't take some sort of fee from a white organization and then find and then you end up finding out later on down the track that everyone else got paid at a bigger rate and you got paid a poxy charity rate (laughs) exactly I so I recently got an agent, which has been really good, like someone to deal with the admin side of things, because I'm really bad at it, as you probably are aware now. Um, <laughs> but I didn't real like, you know, I would previously where I'd be getting like a couple of hundred bucks, 
Like she's told me, no, the standard fee for something like, you know, that sort of stuff is a couple of thousand dollars. Like I just, and I'm like, uh, looking back, I'm like, how many times, mm. like what work have I done? I mean, who kept money, whatever, but we all have to pay rent on stolen land. It's weird. <laughs> um, yeah, just not, I didn't know my value or whatever. I mean, obviously human beings are priceless, but yeah, it's, I think knowing your worth and just saying no, like have boundaries around who you let into your interior, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, so before we get into one of our last questions, my mm-hmm. favorite question, my last, the second one, last one is for all of our younger mob who mm-hmm. are learning about their emotions and their identity, how to belong and how to find strength in all of it. What would be your advice to them? I think like go find your people, just find your people, be with your people, whatever, whoever those people are. Um, also, this is a weird one, but I think reading, mm. if like if that's your jam, I think, yeah, there's – and like reading, reading people who've died and like or reading people who just like read back, I think, throughout history, I think, yeah, we have – there is so much good, particularly like black writing that already exists. Like it's not a new phenomenon or whatever. I think, I do feel like we're having some kind of renaissance kind of vibe at the moment. But yeah, just at the moment reading, um, do you know the poet Lisa Ballier? Ballier, Ballier her last name is B-E-L-L-E-A-R. So I don't know. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> where she... She's a queer poet and photographer from Melbourne, Blackfella. Um, just, yeah, reading her, like, a collection that's posthumous collection, I think they're called. Um, and it's, like, oh, this, like, queer black woman was writing about the same stuff that, yeah, just find, yeah, anyway. Find the content. Find, There's yeah. so much content, though. Like, you know... That's what makes me angry when I see it, when people say, you know, like, oh, we can't find the right, we don't, you know, to teach this area, we don't have the content, we don't have the writers, we don't have the black um, expertise on it. It's like there's plenty, there's so much. Yeah, there really is. Also, uh, back to your question, particularly for people who use Instagram, something I would recommend is, like, curate a feed that is the world that you want to live in. I think that's the, like, if you want to see bodies that, you know, have a feed that has diversity of bodies and, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing because there's so much whiteness in the world and I think try to just create the blackest world that you can.
when did you realize that your race made you powerful? Mm. I think the first time I've always been proud of being black. Um, and I didn't know anything else until I would have gone to school because both my parents were black and all my family are black. So I didn't know, I probably didn't, wasn't aware of white until primary school, really. Um, me and my cousin, Jerry, started school together year one and we went to the same school and we were in the same class. It was really cute. And we, as part of that class, we did a play and it was this medieval play and there were props that we'd made, like really bad, badly drawn, like props of a castle pinned onto a like cushiony board thing. And there's a photo of me and Jerry standing in front of props that we'd made. And in the castle, I'd drawn an Aboriginal flag on the pole. And it was like five, yeah, it would have been a five at the time. So I think like that seems to me to be something like quite a powerful, subversive thing for a five-year-old to do in that space. So I think that would probably be the, when I'm, I must have felt something. I don't remember what I felt, but I must have. Um, yeah. Another time I think would have been year six or year seven. Yeah. That's um really great answer. Um, That's something really different to what we've had as well. And yeah, it really does speak to how you view yourself as a child as well and how mm. much like our identity as black fellas and our culture is, you know, it's not something that, you know, we realize later on in life. It's something that we're born with. It's our lived experiences. It's our kinship. It's our mob. It's who we see around us day in and day out, you know? So that was really, really nice. And I really thank you for coming on to Race Matters. Thank you. Sharing your yarns with us and sharing your dialogue and your words with us. Um, It really means a lot, especially to have a black writer on here too. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Race matters. 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 matters.